Good morning, benders and non-benders alike, and welcome to Dispatches from Republic City, a radio program with an E covering Nickelodeon's Legend of Korra series. This week we'll be covering Welcome to Republic City and Leap in the Wind, the first two chapters from Book One Air, which aired Saturday, April 14th. Without further ado, here are your three hosts with more brains than your average platypus bears, Matt, Dave, and Devendra. Thank you, announcer guy from Republic City. Brilliant. <laughs> that turned out better than we thought. Yeah, Absolutely. Yes, well, this is uh, Dispatches from Republic City, our new Legend of Korra mini-podcast thing, totally off the cuff. I'm Matt Patches of Operation Kino and the Sophisticates, joined by... Dave Seven, also of Operation Kino. And Devendra Hardwar of the Slash Filmcast and various tech things. And we're here to just talk Cora because as it will become very evident soon, uh, we are airbender nuts who have been anxious to catch Legend of Cora since we first caught wind of it, leaf in the wind of it, and um, and we just want to talk shop. And so this is going to be a pretty spoiler-filled conversation. So if you haven't seen uh, the first two episodes of the show, Welcome to Republic City and Leaf in the Wind, then you should definitely catch them and then tune into the podcast. Um, first up, can can someone give me a, a rundown of what happened just to jog the memories? Of, I, uh, I believe I can in a succinct uh, IMDb sponsored way. Specialty, yes. <laughs> so the first episode, Cora uh, leaves the safety of her home in the Southern Water Tribe and travels to Republic City to begin her airbending training with Tenzen, uh, her uncle, I believe. Great uncle? Uh, I don't, no, I don't, I don't think they're related. They're related. I think yeah. he's just a... Uh, an airbending training guy. And well, then. So, Ang's son. Yes. So. Happens to be. Well, once she is there, she kind of uh, roams free of the island uh, and uh, runs into the dangers of Republic City, including metal benders and uh, Central Park fishing laws and what have you, and uh, discovers the uh, anti bending revolution that's sort of uh, bubbling up there. And then the second episode, which immediately followed it and aired it together, is uh, Korra living with uh, Tenzen, and she uh, can't master airbending because she's kind of headstrong, and so she uh, falls into a pro-bending uh, group uh, with Mako and Bolin, who are two brothers, one's a firebender and one's an earthbender, and they make the fire foxes, fire ferrets? Fire, fire ferrets. ferrets, I believe, yes. <laughs> and um, she helps them get into the championship of pro-bending. Yeah, that's a lot to swallow in two half hours of uh, a Nickelodeon cartoon program, I must say. Um, Devendra, I'm very curious. Dave and I have been talking about this, and we'll probably get into a little bit, but very quickly, what... What, where are you coming from, Airbender-wise, in anticipation of this show? I mean, oh yeah, I was a I was a huge fan of the original series. Um, I remember binging on it a couple of years ago, like cause it was like 2008, and I was also one of those people because I I have been a closet M Night Shyamalan fan for some time now. I was really looking forward to the movie, guys, and then he <laughs> broke my heart, and then he like jumped on it and stabbed it. And the saddest thing is, the uh, the day after I saw that terrible, wretched movie, I had to interview the guy and shake his hand, and he played with my iPhone four. Um, that's not a euphemism. So <laughs> it, it it was a really tough period for me, and I I really just wanted something to like give me faith in this series again. And I think uh, Legend of Korra does just that. Yeah, I think what's quintessential about why people have a distaste for the M. Night Shyamalan version uh, can kind of explore why we love the first show in, mm-hmm. in, you know, in the first place. It's, there's a certain um, 
you know the the magic to it, and obviously the the storytelling, the epic storytelling is part of it. But I think the characters are what made me love and fall in love with Airbender in the first place, and what the movie mm-hmm. gets really wrong. You know, it's this childhood sense of wonderment and this uh, in over your head kind of attitude, and the and the movie is very stale. And what I like about Korra now, and I'm thank God, I'm just thanking God that <laughs> it, it was able to maintain. Um, these pure characters and even though it's wildly different than i think from the original show i don't know Mm -hmm. if you guys agree um that core is a completely different character than ang it still stresses how important it is that they have three-dimensional characterizations in a way that the movie never could i think it's really impressive that it shows natural growth uh without that growth necessarily having to be telling the same stories of the same plots but it definitely feels like we're in the same universe Mm -hmm. and considering that uh you know m night took a run at it and showed that it could be ruined i'm so happy that uh it's proved to be stronger than that movie it's actually the movie probably helped push the creators of the show yeah to do a really really good job with like guys we can't let it sit with this we 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 need to do something else yeah Uh, I don't know, like, uh, Dave, you were saying uh, this this shows, like, great growth. Um, definitely for the characters, um, you know, just the way uh, the creators handle these sorts of characters and also the, the building of the world and the universe as well. Like, it's just a lot more complex and interesting and actually adult, too. Um, I liken it to the difference between Dragon Ball Z and the original Dragon totally. Ball. Totally. Yeah. I never really thought about that. Um, where and and to call the last air, Avatar the Last Airbender like a chi- a child show is a little reductive, I think. Sure, but in sure. the same way that Dragon Ball was about being young and yes. having fun, like I, Korra isn't. It's obviously more mature and it's a little darker, and that's where Dragon Ball Z went. Like it got epic, it got scary, and mm-hmm. the world was in a darker place than it was in Dragon Ball, and. Uh, that's very evident in these first two episodes of Korra, which I, it's astounding the detail, the vividness of this landscape they've created with Republic City and this and this totally different environment that still at its core is that airbender that we knew. I uh, was watching it, rewatching it again because they've been very nice about putting these up for free on iTunes. And I was uh, surprised <laughs> on a second rewatch after, you know, I'd let the world building settle in how much the world feels like a reflection of what we learn about Cora, where she's Mm -hmm. seems very confident in herself, but that confidence takes on a sort of aggressiveness and she's more willing to bend her way out of problems or just run away and, you know, find open space to be quote unquote free. Then she is willing to take on the more spiritual side or the more air side, which is what we're struggling with her learning. And that's also exactly what's going on in the city is that, um, you know, everybody's it's coming down to brass tacks. They're the people, the doers, and some of them are benders and some of them feel like they're living as second class citizens. But it's all kind of lost that air and spiritual side. It's not a spiritual place. I think that Tenzin Mm -hmm. actually says that about pro-bending. Like, pro-bending is the worst thing that could happen to bending because it completely gives the cold shoulder to the spirituality of bending, Uh which I think is a really interesting idea. And totally, you're right. It permeates throughout the city and throughout who Korra is and what her arc is going to be in the show. I mean, we were talking about uh, at the end of the uh, second episode, Tenzin sort of comes around when he sees uh, Korra use the door technique on the uh, battlefield. And it's <laughs> uh, then we sort of get a uh, 
interesting speech of Korra in front of uh, the press sort of saying that she's going to be the Avatar and she's really here to train, but she might have some sort of modicum of responsibility to heal the city. And I'm going to be interested to see, especially coming up... Um, it's like the with, Iron Man moment. Yeah. Yeah, and it's like uh, uh, the pro-bending, they're getting into the championships and Korra is definitely going with them. And they're the championships, so we aren't, we aren't going to stay with pro-bending through a whole bunch of more chapters. So I'm interested to see how pro-bending comes to a head and at the same time as Korra's uh, air training gets more complex. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like I was I was surprised how complex and intricate the whole pro-bending thing was. Uh, you guys were saying there's there's a post somewhere online at Coronation that kind of explains the rules for it. Um, it's, it's so different than what we had in the original Airbender series. But at the same time, it feels really fitting. Like, you know, if you have people with all these powers, this is a really uh, interesting way to geek out and show them off, in a yeah. sense. It also mm-hmm. shows, yeah, the difference in this world, too. Like, yeah, this by reducing bending to something like this, you are making it a spectacle and, yeah, losing the spiritual aspect. Well, there's also, like there's no... Said. There's no airbending in pro-bending. I mean, yeah, it's a yeah. three, three-member team, and the stages are made with you know water and stone, and obviously fire can produce their own fire, so they don't mm-hmm. need those around. But it's, even, even the peacefulness of airbending has been left out of this entire sport from the beginning. And it seems like airbenders are still pretty rare, considering they were wiped out except for Aang in the original series. I'm glad to see that they're reintroduced and that the Sky Bison are still around. And with but his awesome kids, by the way. So all of Aang's are the grandkids, right? They're all yes. airbenders. There are yeah. many There are many characters connected to the old series, which I was fascinated by. And the other thing I like about it is that their introductions aren't on the nose, necessarily. Like, our connection to the old series isn't like, hey, remember this guy? Now he has a son. Or, you know, mm-hmm. they really bring it up casually. Um, the only one that they may not is Toph's daughter, who is, I guess, in charge of the police in <laughs> Republic City, which is like, yeah. hey, I'm Toph's daughter. Uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> which are like, okay, fine. That, that, you gotta, totally you gotta do that once, at least. But like, Speaking even, of Toph's daughter, yeah. uh, that, the whole idea, I remember reading and hearing about the idea of, like, elite metal-bending cops, that that idea has worked out so freaking well. It's yeah, yeah. I, is I it know, like, just like complete badassery? I is say. it like a metal cord that they have? Yeah, it's like, like a cord that they have on their backs, and they can sort of use it like Spider-Man style to like move around the city. But uh, yeah, so in the original series, right, metal bending was like an offshoot of earth bending, and uh, as I hear it. Um, uh, what's her name? The metal bending girl. Uh, she's she's going around like training people uh, in this world in the art of making metal bending cops. It's it's just so cool, and we don't see too much of them yet. And I want to see more of them. Um, so, do you guys have individual moments from these first two episodes that kind of sum up? I mean, I, I, it sounds like we're all pretty high on the new series, thankfully. Mm-hmm. Um, worries <laughs> dispelled. Um, but are there individual moments or scenes uh, that kind of sum up why you're excited for this? this new series <laughs> i i think in the first episode the moment i realized i wasn't worried is when she takes her polar bear dog out for like a run beyond the city walls to like <laughs> you know just kind of chill out and the music comes in and you realize this is going to be like an epic you know luke skywalker stares at the sun's moment and <laughs> yeah. you're like all right if you're going for this then i am on board for that level of storytelling avatar and i was i was in again <laughs> polar bear dog I, I think his name is Pabu, but I, <laughs> I, I, I cannot recall it. I'm uh, sure we'll learn. 
Yeah, I love. I love. Uh, I, I think what really hooked me. Uh, I love that whole like uh, very dramatic scene there. Um, but the where she's just exploring the city and the whole fish yeah. out of water thing for her is great. And I love how she is not like Aang at all. And that just tells us so much about her characters. So when like those uh, what the gangsters came in, she's just like, OK, I'm just going to beat all of you up because I'm awesome. And yeah, just so different. Um, and I think like that all that scene also shows like the difference in animation style too. Uh, the animation is higher quality in this series and a little more fluid. Um, it seems like um, like a professional anime series all the way through. Whereas at some points in Airbender, like yeah, the animation wasn't always that great. Um, so yeah, good to it, see. I think having um, Republic City be such a detailed environment, I it definitely mm-hmm. rings of of feature anime films. For yeah. me, like a step up even from some of the anime imports that we've gotten over the years. Um, it's just so detailed. And you're right. It's so fluid. Like the action scenes in these first two episodes are incredible. I remember watching them when they were streaming online. And I took to Twitter because I was just like, I need to tell people that this is some of the best action I've seen directed mm-hmm. in movies or television in like a long while. It's just so perfectly cut together, and maybe that's because of animation. You have time to build those things, and you can yeah. capture each moment perfectly. But who cares? That's great. It's 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 that scene where she fights the goons in the city street. I thought was really spectacular. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I, I mean, I've something that I've missed in from your typical fighting, you know, cartoon series is the weight that Earthbending still has, and it's especially in the uh, fight with the goons when she sends that one up. Um, from like a with a huge block and everybody <laughs> realizes that she's the avatar because she'd done that immediately after waterbending it was just oh i don't know it's it's sort of like the dark knight rises echoes a little bit in the in in cora <laughs> for better or for worse um but i also wanted to jump off something you said devindra which is uh when she enters the city and she's first kind of exploring it one of the moments i love well first off as new yorkers i hope we can appreciate that oh, public yeah. city has this obvious nod to roaring 20s era new york mm-hmm. from like when she sees the the bridge the brooklyn bridge or something or queensboro maybe um <laughs> and then she ends up in obviously central park fishing i just think it's so brilliant to evolve the world it's such a drastic change that I could never have expected. You know, you read so much about, oh, it's going to have this kind of Roaring Twenties vibe, ragtime, jazz sort of feel. And, like, I didn't really understand how awesome that would be uh, in comparison to what I've seen in the original Airbender series until it kind of, like, unveiled itself, her moving through it and her experiencing the senses. Because even right mm-hmm. off the bat, when we see her as a young kid, in a, when the, the Avatar finder people find her um it feels like the airbender we knew you know we're in the water tribe and familiar territory and then you get to this city and it's just like what happened to this world (laughs) i and and the political stuff you know i jokingly mentioned well off air that it kind of reminds me of the star wars prequels but like gone right that it it is a little more complicated it is political and like I don't know if this is purposely timed this way, but come on, Occupy Wall Street. This is like uh, second-class citizens. Like I mean, I don't think Dave. you could put your uh, classist villain in that mask and, not, and say you have no illusions to Occupy Wall Street. <laughs> but it's, it's like weighty territory to tackle in this show. I, I'm almost amazed that they get away with kind of biting this off. And maybe the Star Wars prequels open up the doors. It's like, hey, if you can have the, the Republic Trade Federation and... Uh, <laughs> 
Phantom Menace, then you could do it here in Airbender Core. Well, it shows like how actually having a issue that people can identify with. Like in a sense, I do feel for the uh, people who can't bend in that city because clearly you there's certain things you can't do, and the, that entire world is built around the uh, I don't know the. Uh, yeah. They've been ruining awesome. ruining cabbage vendors for <laughs> hundreds of years. <laughs> I'm I'm anxiously awaiting the first cameo of uh of Cabbage Man. Oh, his long his descendant, lo- his son. Yes, uh-huh. <laughs> but it, it is a really interesting thing to get into because you know they touch upon it in the original series with Soka and his inability to bend and just like he has a weapon. But now mm-hmm. it's like it's a big deal and it's really divided people. And I love the scene. I think there's a scene where she is coming into the city and. Uh, the Ang statue is behind her, and yes. uh, and that's a really provocative scene because here's this guy we know and love who has obviously changed the face of the world that w- as we know it um, for better or worse. Maybe mm-hmm. he in- interesting thing is that he is the heir in the opening credit sequence. Is an adult Ang? That's the first look we get at adult Ang. It might be the only look we get at adult huh. Ang. I don't think we'll see. Unless we do some flashback stuff, which I'm kind of hope I, I think I, they I will. want some. Yeah, he mo- he mostly just got cheekbones, but uh, you could you could check it out. Although I will sweet. say that I'm, I'm I'm a pretty big fan of Tenzin, who is voiced by J.K. Simmons, who's doing yes. a, a voice that I wasn't expecting. It's it doesn't sound just like J.K. Simmons, mm-hmm. uh, amazingly. But like I like him and his relationship with Korra. Um, it again, it's all about feeling different enough from the old show while still having roots there and i think that tenzin is a great character that i'd like to explore and see more of you know where what happened between ang's uh the end of ang's life and Mm -hmm. tenzin being raised by him yeah Uh, i think that could be a really compelling arc i I love the fatherly relationship he has with her um also like it is essentially uh, what well, Korra is Aang reborn you know reincarnated and I feel like in a in a sense he kind of feels that too like I, I he's innately or close to her just because she is basically his father reborn yeah and he seems to be a member of the white lotus who are the quote avatar finding people patches mm-hmm. mentioned earlier <laughs> and also remember is like a kind of a badass last resort fighting force from the original series and I, I'd be interested to see as well how they get involved with this uh, avatar that seems to want to take a political stance almost. Um, I have a feeling that could have some repercussions in the White Lotus. Well, Dave, just to kind of wrap things up here for these first two episodes, you have read The Promise, which is the comic that chronicles some of the in-between, correct? I have. I have uh, it right here. And I'm kind of, I know you have theories because the last sequence of the second episode starts to tease the bigger picture here the villain Mm -hmm. um and then you know you've seen roots throughout these two episodes already to stuff that's happened between so i'm kind of curious about your theories i know your mind is swirling well i'll try to use the basis in the episodes (laughs) because i know we've all seen that so there's the joke about uh zuko's father that is made from the little kid to uh grand grand uh katara and she says, oh, that's an interesting story. That is definitely dealt with in but The Promise. I thought it was about his mother. Sorry, his mother. Zuko's mother. Oh, yeah. Okay. Um, at the end of The Promise Part 1 ends with Zuko and his father in prison having tea and probably going to discuss it. But The Promise is about um, as Zuko and Aang are making a unified nation, um, they make a decree that all fire uh, nation encampments that were in the Earth Kingdoms and uh, in the Water Kingdoms 
are now returned to those original nations. And uh, it causes a mass uh, exodus back to the Fire Nation. And uh, he gets some kickback from his uh, followers, his nation, since he's now the king, uh, the Fire Lord, from this old, old Fire Nation town in an Earth colony that doesn't want to pick up its roots. And Zuko goes there and ends up um, falling... I guess in love with the place and the idea that the earth kingdom and the fire kingdom can live together. And he actually decides that he will go against the avatar's wishes and, uh, says that that city has to stay in earth kingdom land. And so that mm-hmm. was what brings Aang and Zuko into conflict once again. Wow. And I, is that the Israel of this universe, I guess? Essentially. Yeah. Hey, I mean, it's, they take, they put that yeah. in the comic. And so, um, interestingly from here, uh, there's definitely a Mako. Um, he's the firebending fire ferret uh, probender, and uh, Korra, which um, is interesting because the more you look at Mako and his uh, firebending style and his uh, hairstyle, yeah. uh, the more he starts to look like he could be from the Zuko line. And his um, broodiness, right? Yes, yeah, and he's a brooding fellow. And his brother is an earthbender, and it's interesting because previous in the previous series, you wouldn't have found two people in the same family who had different bending skills, mm-hmm. but apparently now that's possible, and so I'm wondering if it's part of this hybrid earth kingdom and that Zuko's offspring aren't the villains like you would expect, but are rather her teammates. I assume then that we'll have to, I mean, because it can't rely on what the promise establishes, I assume that we'll have to get some sort of like... Uh, non-linear storytelling going on at some point this season to kind of piece together that backstory. I, I mean, I think so. It's the most of the characters who were involved with that period are either old or dead. Yeah. So um, <laughs> I have. I mean, they may not need to address it until you know they need the the actor the uh, the actor who play who voiced Zuko in the original series. Uh, his name's blanking on me right now. Rufio. Um, he uh, said that he will be returning to voice a character on Legend of Korra, but he hasn't uh, made it clear if it's a Zuko flashback or somebody hmm. new. So, I mean, I think we'll definitely get that. It's just interesting observations from a super geek over here. Well, that I think that's the point. Um, and what what do you think about the end of the episode? Uh, just the, the tease to the bigger picture here. I'm kind of curious how the non-benders, if this leader of the non-bender movement is actually a non-bender, how they'll probably tackle that and what what threads you see going from these two episodes out and kind of what gets you excited? Um, Well, uh, next week's episode uh, is actually... Uh, the only description we have is Korra attempts to learn more about the equalist movement through infiltration. So I think (laughs) this is like direct i think the last it's like the last paragraph of a chapter of a book that's supposed to propel us into the next one but i have no idea where they're going to go with it i think gang war maybe it's going to be the warriors yeah I, maybe <laughs> i'm i'm expecting something sort of crazy and deep here because you know as as we've been mentioning like this series is kind of delving into some interesting territory um just that whole idea by the way of the like fire and earth kingdom a village like trying to coexist there in uh, in sort of enemy territory or different territory. That's interesting. But the very idea of Republic City, right, is all about like this like great grand dream sort of falling apart. There's a certain sense of like reality and fatalism to it. Like despite Ang's uh, his uh, I don't know his positivity. Yeah, it's idealist. Dr- yeah, yeah. It c- it can't quite 
in reality, it just can't quite happen that way. That's yeah. fascinating. I, I also wonder, you know, I imagine we'll see most of the action happening in Republic City, but one of the things I do love about Airbender is all the, like, crazy mm-hmm. places we get to go. I'm trying to... I, I imagine just thinking that because that's an exciting aspect of the story that will eventually leave Republic City. I wonder if people are going to be driven out, if if the conflict is going to escalate so much that they're they're really forced out of their land in some way. Mm-hmm. This is this is serious mirroring of uh <laughs> of actual conflict. Indeed. I mean it it we we talked a little bit about how the whole feeling of air is sort of permeating the what's going wrong in Republic City. So maybe we're going to see the antagonism of fire come back uh, because that's sort of been absent. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm just I'm excited to see more from the villain uh, Amon yeah. is his name because he's voiced by Steve Bloom, who I I love and everything he does. He was Spike Spiegel in the Cowboy Bebop dub, awesome. and he is awesome. So he he has a great like evil voice when he wants to be, but he can be yeah. cool. Exactly. I think I think something like Batman I would like. I would like something like that. Well, wait, you want it to be like vigilante kind of thing? What wait, what do you mean, Batman? Well, I mean, I like the idea that there are these separatists out there and that Toph's daughter mm-hmm. is going to have to deal with them as the police commissioner and that Cora <laughs> is going to try to help out and get in the way. Like I want I want that. Huh. That sounds awesome. But yeah, the separatist movement, like they, they're they basically setting up this whole like terrorist angle, which they won't really like. A, I don't know if they'll call them that in the show, but that's essentially what they're going to be. Right. Yeah. No, yeah. I, I think you're absolutely right. Now, the Batman thing is really intriguing to me because mm-hmm. I feel like Korra is going to have to go away from Republic City and yeah. like learn spirituality and becoming like in touch with herself and then return to Republic City kind of like Batman and and and. <laughs> Screw with the plan. She's not the hero they need now. <laughs> exactly. Or something. Um, well, to wrap up, <laughs> that's all I had. <laughs> that's it. Uh, well, I, I think that I'm excited for the show. I'm, I feel uh, energized by what I've seen. I, you know, I did have worries going into the show that um, that the Legend of Korra was going to try and replicate something that was lightning in a bottle. And I'm mm-hmm. really happy. I don't know if um, the creators, Michael and Brian, just felt so uh, violated by the M. Night Shyamalan movie <laughs> that they came back and did this as some sort of effort to kind of trump themselves. But I think they've really done it, and I'm, I'm very excited to see where it goes. And I don't really – there isn't anything that I'm worried about um, kind of – putting it off tracks you know what i mean yeah. like there could yeah. be silly elements that i'm like oh god here's the jar jar binks of legend of Korra," but i don't really see that it's very serious and it's meticulous mm-hmm. so i am excited i imagine all two of you are too. <laughs> and, and uh our massive throngs of fans you I think, know i think the goal is to uh be back every week talking about legend of Korra, uh mm-hmm. episode by episode it is april 21st at 11 a.m on nickelodeon is uh episode three the revelation and uh so that wraps up this week's episode of the republic city dispatch uh why don't we tell people where they can find us davindra Sure. Um, I'm on Twitter at twitter.com slash Devendra, and I'm also on the Slash Filmcast, and uh, I write about technology at venturebeat.com. I'm Dave with a 7. You could find me podcasting at opkino.com, on Twitter at DA7E, and writing about movies at latino-review.com. 
And I am Matt Patches. I am the movies editor of Hollywood.com. Dave and uh, Dave Seven and I co-host Operation <laughs> Kino. I run another podcast called The Sophisticates, and uh, we'll be back in next week talking about Cora. 